Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing a subject that Many people might find boring, but it's very, very important. It's quality and how it's measured in healthcare. And today we're going to be speaking to Dawn Curtis. She's the VP of Clinical Quality for Fresenius Medical Care. And we're going to just give you a little overview of what quality looks like in the dialysis facility. So welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So, you know, you know, CMS implements quality initiatives to assure quality health care for Medicare beneficiaries on dialysis. Mm-hmm. And CMS uses quality measures to see how the dialysis facility is performing. So can you um, explain some of the measures that you're looking at and CMS is to ensure quality in people who are on dialysis? Sure. So one of the most prevalent one is, you know, adequacy. We want to make sure that we're cleaning the blood effectively and meeting a certain parameter so that the government realized is assured that we're in making sure that the patients are well dialyzed. That's one of the, the first and foremost. And that one, we like to include the patient in a lot of the conversations around that, making sure that we identify the right modality for them, the right accesses for them for the modality that they choose as well as the, the, the lifestyle that they want to have with choosing the modality. Well, and, you know, one of the measurements, right, that you look at is KT over V or URR. Yes. And I was on PD for nine years. And, you know, a lot of people can't do PD because they may not get the clearances. I, I'm a little small female, so mm-hmm. it was easier. But if you're a big guy... <laughs> Um, PD may not work because of mm-hmm. to be able to clear. And that's basically what that measures, right? Yeah, it's making sure the K2 over V in New York, it's making sure that whatever um, body type you are, as it, based off of labs and clearances. So they set a standard for each modality because each modality is measured a little differently. And they require us to meet that otherwise we get kind of a a little checkbox that we didn't need it with those patients. And there could be financial ramifications for that. I like to focus more on we want to make sure that we give the patient the most optimal dialysis treatment. So it's more of a focus on what's right for the patient and finding that modality that works for them. Like I said earlier, you know, it's what fits their lifestyle. And sometimes those bigger men, like you said, don't necessarily do well on um, PD. There's, you know, different opportunities there with the continuous the cycler at night, there's the CAPD during the day. So there's different options, but sometimes they have to transition to others. And, you know, ideally we still like them to be home patients. So we like to talk to them and educate them so they can make sound choices to maybe don't do home hemo where they can actually can do their, their hemodialysis treatments at home. Well, and you know, I know a lot of brands who are on home hemodialysis and PD Mm -hmm. and, in my opinion, home is the best option if you can do it mm-hmm. because it's always better to be in control, but we're very lucky to have choice in this country. Absolutely. And, you know, when you go to the center, it's usually three times a week. 
but when you do home dialysis, you can do it more often in some cases. And that can yeah. lead to better quality and feeling better because it's just really important to discuss this with your doctor and your healthcare team mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, people are like, I don't want to dialyze anymore. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And you don't feel well, try it yeah. <laughs> um, and see if it, if it makes you feel a little bit better. Yes, and sometimes that's a turn, like it turns people away thinking that they're going to dialysis more, do their dialysis more frequently. But in all reality, they start feeling better. And so we have, like for Fresenius, we have the um, experience, the difference where they can come in more frequently to see how it makes them feel um, before they actually commit to going home. And it's really interesting to watch how people in that first week, that transition into the second, third week of where they start feeling so much better. Again, it's, it's an option or a choice for the patient. We want to make sure we don't make them feel bad or anything for not choosing home because we do have the in-center clinics. But the ability for them to have more control over their treatment is really nice for them to be able to do at home because they can do the more frequent dialysis, but they can do it at the time schedule that works for them versus a scheduled time three times a week standard across the board. So it gives them some autonomy. And I do realize that some people, you know, just are afraid to do dialysis and, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully they, to do it at home. So, you know, not everybody is, is going to do it, but you need to know your options and your choices. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other things you measure too, that, that CMS, they look at like bloodstream infections, Mm -hmm. they look at transfusions. Do you want to explain, just briefly go over some of the measures? Yeah. So as you said, they have the the bloodstream infections. They're wanting to make sure that we're using great aseptic technique when we're taking care of our patients' accesses and that we're educating them on the care of them. Um, Transplant is another another option for them. So they encourage, you know, that that's one of the modalities that we want to make sure that the patients understand and have a great knowledge of to make that educated choice. Hospitalizations and hospital readmission rates are um, a focus as well because we want to keep our patients healthy, feeling their best, and, you know, being able to be home with their, their fa- friends and family. And when they go in the hospital, that's not a good thing because, you know, they're not getting the treatment that they normally would at a clinic. They're not always getting the same medications that we give at the clinic, as well as, you know, it's a stressful situation being in in a hospital. So they look at, you know, the quality of life of the patient and trying to keep them out of the hospital as much as we can. You know, people sometimes are admitted by other doctors Mm -hmm. uh, because of other illnesses. And I always stress to the patients and the people listening, you know, you need to communicate that with your doctor and your nephrology team because... They don't always tell each other <laughs> where somebody is, um, mm-hmm. and it's good to let the dialysis facility know that, hey, I've been hospitalized, I, I broke my ankle, or whatever the issue is, so they can help mm-hmm. coordinate care uh, for you, um, Absolutely. and that's really important. Yeah, the patient is a key contributor, I think, to that. When you think about the transition of care, the communication that they have with the clinics and the the providers is, is important so that we can make sure that that transition is smooth. So like you gave the example of the broken ankle, you know, we might not know that, but even them giving us a call and giving us a heads up that they're going to be in the hospital as well as when they may come home 
from the hospital so we know when to expect them back and we can make sure we have the most update orders for them so that we give them that most optimal treatment. Well, and I I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, there is a push right now and it's very important, but for your vascular access choice Mm -hmm. and CMS is wanting more fistulas in people because catheters are one of the most deadly things you can have because they lead to bloodstream infection. And so you're being measured on that as well. And I think a lot of people are post on, on social media, they're trying to make me get a, a fistula or a graph and I don't want to be stuck. <laughs> I want my catheter. But mm-hmm. there's really sound advice why your doctor is trying to push you to get a permanent access because a dialysis catheter is is like playing Russian roulette if you have it a long time. Yes, there's there's a higher chance of infection with catheter rates, so the BFI rates can go up. There's a higher risk of hospitalization, and in the end, you know, the infection there's it can lead to a higher rate of mor- morbidity and mortality. So it's it's not that we want to pressure people to get stuck or anything, and we do have you know interventions and things that we can do to try lessen the um, the impact that you have on that. Um, I can't say for myself, but I've spoke with patients that, you know, they say that once it's established, it still, it still hurts, Don, but it's not as bad as when you first start. So, you know, sometimes we have some peer mentors that can talk with patients, um, but ideally you want to listen to your physician about, you know, what modality you want and then talk about the most optimal a- access so that, it gives you the best dialysis that you can have as well as reduces the risk for, you know, injury infection as well. Well, and one of the the measures that I think is really important is the blood transfusion measure because, um, you know, I was in those days before uh, any of the ESAs came out. Mm -hmm. So I used to get blood transfusions every six weeks, two units of blood. Wow. And, and I mean, for like 10, 12 years, I don't even know. And when there was treatment available for anemia, I mean, I think the patient community just celebrated like nobody else. Mm-hmm. And so there's not an anemia measure. There's a blood transfusion measure. So because yeah. uh, patients can be referred to transfusion, which will raise the anemia levels. So it's good to check on that one as well. You know, you can learn about it, learn about, you know, if you have an infection, it can lead to anemia. <laughs> it can lead to a lot of different mm-hmm. things. So, um, and, and these are, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that CMS does something called a pay for performance. So mm-hmm. you have a 2% amount and if you don't meet one of these measures, they withhold money from you, which is a really interesting way of doing things. I think they should reward people for doing the right thing, <laughs> but they actually do the carrot. I, I prefer the carrot to the stick. Yeah, it's a paid performance model to where if a clinic is in the current year is not does not meet the metrics, and it's for all of their Medicare patients. So if at the end of the year, and it usually comes out the, the middle of the next year, if they don't use, need a certain threshold, then the following year for every Medicare patient, they receive a payment reduction from 0.5% up to 2%. And that's on every Medicare patient every day. 
that they run. So it's not just those that don't meet. So it gives the incentive to providers to really make sure that they're giving that, you know, optimal treatment to every patient so that we can keep them well as well as meet CMS requirements. Well, and, you know, one of the measures that I think is important, well, hypercalcemia and too much calcium in the blood, Mm -hmm. um, because somebody who understands bone and mineral management, if that's not effectively measured, uh, you will have a lot of damage to your bones. And it won't hit you right now. It'll hit you when you get older. Um, yeah, there's a saying, if I knew I was going to live this long on dialysis, I would have paid attention to bone and mineral a little bit more. So uh, explain, so you measure the hypercalcemia, and that's basically because phosphorus, which everybody yeah. knows on dialysis, you take all the phosphate binders, but phosphorus and calcium have an inverse relationship. So if you have too much phosphorus, there's going to be more calcium in your blood. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a, a double-edged sword. So you want to make sure that we keep our phosphorus under control so we can preserve the bone health. And that's where it starts is with the, the phosphorus. Once the phosphorus gets a little too high, then the calcium starts impacting it. And once that gets out of whack, it's a domino effect to where it's impacting your PTH as well or your parathyroid. So it's really important to, to know that phosphorus control is the starting point for good bone health and, you know, success longevity with um, management, management of bone mineral. Well, and I, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen these measures evolve over the years. Mm-hmm. And one of the measures that I'm I'm always a little confused about. Uh, it's a long survey, but it's a CAP survey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a survey that patients get. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but we're surveyed to death. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Amazon drops off food and they're like at your porch in bags mm-hmm. and you get surveyed. How was your, I'm like, well, they got it on the mm-hmm. porch. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, it's almost <laughs> comical. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I always, I've been watching the dialysis facility compare um, and, you know, some of the sites that show it and they list the CAP survey. But what I've heard from patients is they fill out these surveys all the time and there's really no feedback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot about, you know, how do you feel emotionally? And I know as a long-term patient that, you know, depression accompanies kidney disease and any mm-hmm. illness. And we don't always have enough resources to help with some of those things. I mean, you can't find a mental health specialist in my town right now. It's really hard. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always a little, you know, is there a better way <laughs> than, than yeah. the CAP survey? Because it's more of something CMS just wants the clinics to do, but I would like to be more specific and be able to have something reactionary. Yeah. Like if you if you have an infection and you you're an increased infection, you guys can review your your protocols and you know there's things you can do. But what can you do with the CAP survey um, when you get well, all CAP, this data? <laughs> yeah, the CAP survey is more of like the patient experience, as you as you said. And you know, at Fresenius, what we do when the survey comes out is we look through the survey and see where we've done really well and what, where we've done, you know, not so well. And we, we share a letter with our patients of these are the three things that we really 
succeed with. And thank you for your feedback and continue to give us this feedback. And these are some areas where we found some opportunity and this is what we're going to do. Um, and that's for the clinics that have this, you know, have the surveys. So if a clinic doesn't get the survey results, it's, it's kind of hard for them to do that. And it takes, it's required that 32 surveys in a calendar year are returned. And depending on the size of the clinic, even some big clinics have trouble meeting that threshold. So that's a lot of times why some providers may do like a, like Fresenius does their own patient survey because we don't get always get the results back when we don't have enough patients complete the survey. Well, because uh, we have survey fatigue. That's why. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and it's a good tool for you guys to see what maybe a snapshot of how they feel. But I think mm-hmm. people on dialysis are like, you know, they want to do a survey and have something specific to them. It's like staying at a hotel and tell us how we did. Um, exactly. You know, but we don't get any feedback to what our personal needs are to address them. So I know it's it's really weird. I mean, I've been involved in measure development for quite a while, and it's just so hard to create a good measure, mm-hmm. you know, that really is beneficial, I mean, you know, to all parties and that you can actually do something to change the situation. One of the things that I'm always, it's always interesting, but the measures are for the facility and people need to realize how much can the facility control mm-hmm. as opposed to should that be a physician measure or should that be a facility measure or how will it go about? But currently, we only have facility measures under this, correct? Yeah, other than the ICAPS, which is patient, but they're at a facility level, yes. We don't get the individual surveys, so we never know, like, how the patient, which patient, you know, answer a certain way or anything. We don't, we're not privileged to that information. That's why it's done by a third party. And there's two types of measures. Just there are performance measures where dialysis providers have a payment withhold, but then there's just some process measures that just give you a snapshot of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, did you want to list a couple of process measures? So like you said, for anemia, it's not a, it's not a metric of measure, but it's a reporting measure that we have. You report the measure. Yes. And what, um, I really think anemia is important because some people do well at different hemoglobins. Mm-hmm. And um, you really need to track that. And that's a process measure. So it's just something that the government's looking at, but you won't be dinged for not meeting a goal. Correct. Uh, there, there's one measure that I have mixed emotions about because I believe so much in the concept. But, uh, you know, it's the tr- referral to transplant center measure. And I think it's mm-hmm. kind of gotten a little bit better. But when it was first introduced, uh, you got graded on referring people to transplant. And it's interesting because it didn't take in all of the geographical factors and patient choice. Um, mm-hmm. And my my transplant doctor, and I've had four, so I, it's so hard to get an appointment with them. I mean, they're busy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're crazy busy. And and so I, I felt I had a little mixed emotions because I, I believe in the concept, but I also think it's important to understand some of the other areas where some people can't travel two to three hours or four hours for a transplant center. 
Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just not an option unless they get some additional funding because they have to stay by the transplant center. So some patients choose not to have a transplant because of that. Mm -hmm. But the way I understood this measure is that, you know, you had to refer them and they had to, um, they had to say that they connected with a transplant team um, to find out if they had an option. Um, is that correct? So now it's that they're actively on the wait list. There's a percentage of patients that are active on the wait list. And they do take into consideration like the age of the patient and such. There's parameters there. But it's transitioned from referring them to them being actually active on a, a, a wait list. Well, and that's interesting because 40% of people on the kidney transplant list are not active currently. They're not looking for like 100% of transplant wait list or anything. It's the appropriate patients and, and such. Um, but it is, it's, I believe, in my opinion, it's the government's way of making sure that we're reviewing all modality options with a patient, you know, whether it be home hemo, PD, in-center, um, transplant, th those are the options that are out there. And they're just making sure that we've given all those options to the patients, I believe. So if you're listening, it's really important to understand, ask your dialysis team about quality measures, ask them, uh, instead of thinking, oh my God, they want me to get a, a permanent access, there's a reason. There are actually statistics that show your life can be shorter and due to a blood infection. And catheters are little portals to your bloodstream. So you don't have a lot of room for error if you get an infection. You know, to follow up a little bit, I, I thought maybe we could spend a couple of minutes in how measures are created. Um, I think it's important. The government contracts with different companies. They had contracted with the National Quality Forum. Now they're contracting with a company called Battelle. And a lot of these companies do a lot of measures. They're not just specific to dialysis. And so I always encourage our members to get involved to understand this and participate on a committee or something because I've been on committees for many, many years in quality. And, you know, they just don't know the little nuances of dialysis. And it's important to get these measures right, or they actually can not be all that helpful. Yes, and, and it's just that everybody, it's a business of making sure that all the patients are, are well taken care of. And so there's these different groups that kind of come in and look at what this current situation is and try seeing what we can maybe do better. Well, and I mean, you know, a perfect example is the vascular access. Everybody wanted a measure was fistula first. It was a huge initiative. Get, get a fistula, that's what you need. But in reality, in medical practice, somebody who is older or like me probably now, they don't, I don't have the best veins anymore. And so a graph may be better for me. But the way the measure was developed was that put a fistula in somebody. That's what it said. Mm -hmm. And and it didn't really allow for the other conversation because if you have a fistula put in, if you can get it put in early and it can mature, you're fine. You know what I'm saying? Then that's great because you start dialysis and you use your fistula. But it has a time that it needs to mature 
So people were putting in fistulas and a catheter to get dialysis. So the whole community kind of got together, and um, I think basically now the thought is catheter last. (laughs) That's the last option (laughs) because it actually had a a negative impact. Mm -hmm. People were having more catheters put in where a graph can be used immediately almost or, or within a shorter amount of time than a fistula. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those are the little nuances of measure development that you really need to understand and, and understand the validity and the reliability of the measure and if it's actually going to provide good data to people. Um, but in this case, the fistula first measure turned out not to do what it was intended to do, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. <laughs> um, it actually kind of... Sent people getting more catheters, which is what we don't want. And this is not a catheter for PD, a catheter in your chest, or, or that goes right to your heart. And and those the central venous line. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I'm curious, how did you get into measure development and understanding quality? Um, I, everyone says it's my calling. I'm big on patient care and making sure that our patients, you know. I, I feel like it's an extended family, so I want to make sure that my extended family is well taken care of. So as a nurse, it, it interests me, and then I always wanted to work hard at improving patient care, so that's why I've come into the quality realm and you know the government metrics and value-based care um, metrics as well drive that. And, you know, I know that the ESRD networks um, are involved in some quality. Uh, how do you work with them or how do, how do they enter? Because I know mm-hmm. um, the system is designed for the networks, for patients to, you know, for them to be an advocate. But I know things have changed over the years because you guys collect all the data before they used to have to collect the data. Now you collect the data mm-hmm. and send it to them. Is, is that correct and then they review it and just call you up and say work on this number <laughs> well we, we partner with them they they usually identify some clinics that will will do actually quality projects that are suggestions from the networks and such based off of the quality data sometimes it's catheters sometimes it's mistreatment other times it's making sure that you know we have our home therapy options open to everyone that we're diverse in that and that we're not you know picking a select group of patients for um, PD that it's open to everyone. So those are some of the projects that we've worked on in, in recent years. So if you had a magic wand, uh, what would help you with quality measures and, and getting the information from patients? Probably engaged patient and families, like being advocates and asking those questions for themselves to make sure that they know all the possible information that they can for making decisions in their health. You know, I feel like the patient is the number one player on the team. And when the patients aren't engaged in that, their, their own care, then that sometimes makes it a more of a challenge for the, the health team to take, take care of them. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to kind of let people know that Managed care is now available for people who have Medicare fee-for-service. It happened in the last couple of years. And Medicare Advantage has their own set of measures that they work with the providers with. These measures only apply to people who have Medicare fee-for-service where it's a, a 2% withhold. 
you know, I think it's important because we have different payment systems and people measure it differently, which makes everything more complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I really thank you for your, your knowledge, your dedication to quality. Uh, they have a website called Dialysis Facility Compare that can provide some more information to you on some of the measures and how your clinic is performing. And and I just want to say a little caveat about that. Talk to your staff about the rating because they measure on a bell curve, which if you're not familiar with a bell curve, everybody can be really, really close together in quality, but they spread it out to give a one to five rating. So my particular doctor's dialysis unit had three patients that passed away after being on dialysis over 20 years. So it hurt his rating, but in reality, should it have? So, um, you know, it's just a guide, something to look at and start a discussion with your facility, but get involved in quality measures, understand what it is and why the facility is asking you to do certain things. It's for your own benefit. Um, And with that, any other... Closing thoughts before we wrap up, Dawn. I really appreciate your your knowledge and expertise. No. Thank you so much, and thanks for letting me be part of this. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.